0: Up. Happy Friday! Welcome to a very special Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 brought to you as always by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the mobile Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At kintech.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Very special show today uh, for a couple of reasons. One, no drance. My guy Randy Janda here with me. Of course, the uh, color voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on 650. Big jet setter, too. What? But we reeled you in. Yeah, you we reeled what? you into Vancouver back I had to Vancouver. The,
1: I had the rare week of not flying anywhere, yeah. so I thought I'd uh, swing by
0: Vegas, you know, Rogers
1: Field here, at no- New York. Yep. All over the place. I'm in town for the next couple of weeks. It's, Inter- it's good to be here with you. International
0: and... Jet Setter, Randeep Janda.
1: Yeah, You never know where I'm going to end up. I'm, I'm the, the male version of Carmen San Diego. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> That's what I've always said about you. It's on my resume. Love a bright red hat. <laughs> um, and uh, it's also special because we are uh, on an hour early. We are live out front of Nat Bailey Stadium. Uh, where the Canadians are playing the Hillsborough Hops in a nooner today, coming up at 1, uh, which, of course, you'll be able to hear right here on 650. So, you know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say it's a beautiful summer day. It's kind of a vintage Vancouver January day right now. You know, maybe a little bit of a sprinkle in the forecast, but it should clear up uh, in time for first pitch. They're going ahead no matter what.
1: Today. No, I, I have some positive news on that front. As of right now, it's dry. As of right now, and it's dry. And based on my looks at the forecast, yeah. first pitch – will
0: be it'll be dry at that point i too. think it's supposed to be dry for the rest for the rest of the afternoon at least so yes. come on down say hi uh you know bring a sweater but uh, enjoy a nooner at the nat the canadians taking on the hillsborough hops uh tyler zickel will have the call here on 650 at one uh and we will uh, chat with canadians player at some point in the program but Randy, it's a it's an extraordinarily exciting day today in the NHL. Just an, an incredibly exciting day.
1: Oh, wait, wait, the parade is tomorrow. What are you talking about? Oh
0: no, no 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 no! This is even more. This is much more exciting than that. The buyout window is oh, open. Wow. The buyout window is open. The first buyout window is open from now until June thirtieth. Everyone's favorite thing to talk about. It's on the table. It could happen at any moment now. The Canucks could buy out Oliver Ekman-Larsson. It's not theoretical. We're here. We're in the moment where it could happen. This is such an offer sheet conversation. It could happen,
1: but will it happen? Will
0: well, that's it happen? The question. Well, and the question is what? Well, I have two questions. We'll start with the Canucks one, right? Sure. Because the question. I mean, the questions are obviously will they, and also should they, right? It's a two-part question, and my answer to will they, I think, is no. I would be very, very surprised. To me, there's basically two candidates. Right? There's Oliver Ekman Larson and there's Connor Garland. Oh. Those are the only two that make sense. Tyler Myers doesn't make sense. Brock Besser, I don't think, makes sense. It's Connor Garland or it's Oliver Ekman Larson. I would be shocked if they bite the bullet and buy out Oliver Ekman Larson. It could happen. I'd be very, very surprised just because it's such a commitment. There's so much dead money on your books for so long, even though it opens up a ton this year. Garland is the more likely one, but I would still, if push comes to shove, Will it happen? I would say no. I would say they find another way to move Garland. Now, should they? That's a different conversation, especially when it comes to OEL. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's
1: take the buyout straight up. Yeah. Take the players out of it for one second. Historically speaking, this team does not trend towards buyouts nope. of this, you know, when you're talking about the OEL level of going into 2031, essentially you'd be paying, you know, have a cap hit. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. So historically speaking, I believe I don't think it's going to happen. The other thing is if you take Patrick Alvin face value, what he said at the post-season press conference, and I understand posturing could be a part of the conversation. You don't want to put, you know, all your cards on the table, but the team is essentially saying, yeah, it's not a part of the the plan. Patrick Alvin saying that. So let's with the players now, OEL, that to me, that short-term gain that you get, that's a lot of long-term pain. That's a lot of long-term pain that you're going to have to live with. And going to Connor Garland, I like Connor Garland like you do. I think we're both yep. you know, I don't know if we're presidents of the fan club, but we're we're you're like the treasurer <laughs> I'm the there. secretary yeah, or whatever. We're in there. We're, like, in there we're holding sure. administrative yep. positions at the very least. Yep. But there in my opinion, there is value out there for a Connor Garland based on a couple of things. Good player and he's got term. I don't think that's a bye candidate to me. I like A, he's valuable on your mm-hmm. team, and B. If you're looking to move them, I think there's a deal to be made out there. So to me, that doesn't make much sense, Jamie. I know you know that does provide cap relief, but I, I think that would be actually treating an asset poorly that probably has value on your team or otherwise.
0: In a sense, I can understand the thought process between potentially buying out Connor Garland. And I should also say, yes, the buyout window is open, even if they do... In the unlikely event that they do exercise a buyout, we're not going to see it until no. June 29th, June 30th, right? They're going to exhaust all other options, work the trade market, work the phones, try to find something to do with these players before they go down that road. So as exciting as it is, we still have to wait a little bit for any buyout news. I can, In a sense, I can understand the desire to potentially buy out Connor Garland because it's over $4 million in savings this year. And, like, we all know the situation they're in. We all know how much $4 million could potentially help this team, right, to spend a a third-line center, to spend on the blue line. But with Connor Garland, it's, one, as you said, I mean, he's still got three years left. So you're creating six years of dead cap charge, right, to buy him out. And I don't know if it's going to be – it's not going to be a home run deal. It's not going to be a deal that you look at and think, wow, they won that deal. That's an incredible deal for Connor Garland. They got a really good return back. But I have to believe there's some market for a player who's been as productive five-on-five five as Connor Garland has for the last couple of years, right? Like, I just I, – I struggle to believe that there's not another way of solving that problem before you start to think about a buyout with Connor Garland.
1: For sure, and I think, you know, you look at the player that he is, I just – and understand when you're talking about Brock Besser, you're talking to other players across the league, that those cap hits are so high. You're saying, is it – even a point trading this player because you're going to have to do it at a loss. It's it, in certain ways it might be a Max Pacioretty type of deal for some teams, where the the salary is so high that you're mm-hmm. saying, hey, or just take it off of us. And and Brock Besser's not in that conversation to me. I think it's better off to retain that player. But Connor Garland, Connor Garland, what he's been able to do in a limited role last year in a third line, basically you know very minimal power play t- time, uh, power play too, but what that's 30 seconds of a power play. Mm-hmm. He does have that value. And I look at it this way. On your own team, if you are getting a gritty, face-off winning center, if you are doing that, you're going to need somebody that probably drives play. Connor Garland's that player. There's value on your own team. The profile that we heard from Rick Talkett of what type of center they want it's not a player that is carrying the puck a lot. It's a heavy four-check. It's a player that's bringing the meat and potatoes that's game. That's winning
0: face-offs, right? That, that can it, help you kill penalties. Exactly. Not a, Not an offensive driver, necessarily.
1: So, Connor Garland is going to, if he's playing on this team next year, I think he's going to be that driver on that third line, especially if you can pair him with a certain center that plays that style of game that is more north-south. However, if you're looking to move him, or if you're looking to have some cap relief, there's got to be some value there. There's got to be some... Ability to maybe you know fill a few holes that you have on your roster, and I start looking at defensemen across the league, where maybe some veteran pieces. I know you brought up Jan Ruda that uh-huh. almost made Drantz faint yesterday. Yeah.
0: I was stunned. He published his uh, you know what a perfect offseason looks like for the Canucks piece, and I did Control F for Jan Ruda. I didn't see any mention there. I was I was crestfallen. I was like, what happened? That's such a good idea. I thought. But yeah, All right, okay, that was my
1: suggestion. I that got my one actually. Suggestion. All right, I All got right. one that is a little different, very different level of player, at least quality of player, sure. um, different personality, you know, just style of play. Yep. The name I'm looking at, and I, there's a lot of eyes on Winnipeg right now, a lot of eyes on Winnipeg. What do they need? Let, let's not worry about what the Canucks are getting back, but what do the Winnipeg Jets need right now?
0: Well, Winnipeg, what they want for sure is players that can help them win now and players that, as Drance says, are trapped. Exactly, they are the have term that are not pending UFA's, basically looking to force their way out.
1: Players that can stay in super max Winnipeg is basically <laughs> what we're looking at, right? Yes. Where you're you're yes. not going anywhere, you can't leave. Yeah, Connor Garland is that player. He does not have any sort of trade clause. He's a player that has term. So if I'm Winnipeg and Blake Wheeler's probably out of town, if he wants to go, he's <laughs> got a sweet deal when it comes to his trade clause. He can call the shot. Mark Scheifele has been hinting at wanting to leave for the last year. Pierre Luc Dubois has put on a for sale sign on his lawn. Oh yeah, Connor Hellebuck is saying, "Yeah, if, if you want to rebuild, I'm not that guy. I'm out of here. I'm I'm out of here." So Winnipeg needs those players. I look at Connor Garland on the wing as that player. Who's the player that you come back in return? Brendan Dillon. Ooh, local guy. Local guy.
0: But, I, like, I like Brendan Dill. Good I'm a, player. I'm a Good fan player. of his
1: player, uh, that player as well. He's a, you know, a cycle breaker. He's a physical defenseman. But I think there's a couple of things that he can fulfill in a Canucks lineup. One, and a lot of people are probably yelling at their radio right now saying, hey, he plays on the left side. Historically, though, he's been playing on both sides. Yeah, He's played alongside John Carlson, Eric Carlson, Dimitri Orlov on either side of defense. This is a guy that... We actually had him on Sportsnet 650 a couple years ago and asked him about playing the right-hand side and has really no issues. So if you're looking for a player that can maybe play along alongside a a Quinn Hughes who knows how to play alongside a super-skilled offensive mm-hmm. defenseman and knows their role, what was one of the biggest takeaways from the Luke Shen experience? It's not about necessarily skill. It's about knowing your role. Mm-hmm. I look at that fit with Winnipeg as they need a player that has term you need a defenseman that can be a stopgap for a year, maybe a little bit more if he, you re-sign him, but he's on a $3.9 million salary for one more year. Yep. And you get cap relief if, if he walks away, and if you don't re-sign him, guess what?
0: Yep. You have an open-up no cap. And, you know, I, I I want to talk about it from Winnipeg's perspective, but just on Brendan Dillon and the point about, you know, left side versus right side, I love the versatility. I do think we're kind of stuck a little bit in the past in this city, with like, oh, they have to get a right shot defenseman. I mean, they went out and traded for Filipronik, right? So... I see two spots open in the top four, one for a lefty and one for a righty. Yep. So if you're going out and getting a lefty, like they need, and in fact I could almost argue the bigger priority for me is finding a really quality player to go alongside Ronick, right? Because I know he he improved a lot defensively last year in Detroit, but you don't think of him necessarily as a shutdown defensive defenseman, right? He's an offensive guy. Yep. so. To me, we've seen Quinn Hughes can make it work with just about anyone, right? Like Luke Shen's the most obvious example, but he was playing with Noah Juleson last year, getting good results, right? We've seen this over and over with Quinn Hughes, that you can kind of plug and play a stay-at-home type relatively cheap and get decent results with Quinn Hughes. I'm not sure you have that same confidence with Philip Ronick. So if you're just choosing where to spend your very limited assets on the blue line, like I'm actually leaning more to the left side at this point to find that partner for the, the The flexibility with Dylan is a bonus. Right?
1: Totally. And remember, penalty killing. That's another yeah. area that you have to look at when you're talking about a defenseman. And if we go back two years, you know, Dylan's – Last year in Winnipeg, he was one of the better defensemen, defensive defensemen, I should say. Mm -hmm. We know Josh Morrissey and what he was able to do. Uh, A terrible year for Neil Pionk last year, but if you look at the defensive metrics, uh, Brendan Dillon improved significantly from the previous year, more in line with his career numbers. The question you might be asking, though, is why would Winnipeg want to get rid of a leader, a veteran, a guy that actually is well-liked in that room, in that market? They've got a bunch of young guys that are coming up
0: on the left side, in particular, right? And you know, I look at it. Well, they have Josh Morrissey there now. Morrissey, I think, is the plan is to keep him around, right? I mean, who knows? He's one of him.
1: Nick Ehlers, probably, you know, just a few guys on that roster. Those are the guys that Connor
0: Ehlers, uh, Morrissey is kind of guys they're looking to keep. So they got Morrissey on the left side. Nate Schmidt, we know, can play either side. He's got a couple more years left on his deal. Has a modified no trade. You know, they have Logan Stanley who's more of a bottom-pairing type, But 25, he's an RFA on the left side. They've got Dylan Sandberg, 24, he's an RFA on Who the left side. Who had a great side. year
1: last year for the team. So
0: they have younger options on the left side, and, yeah, they might be interested in, okay, we do we want to pay Brendan Dillon 3.9, maybe blocking some of our other younger players on that side, or do we want to parlay that into a player – with a little bit of term that's an interesting one I hadn't thought of that name before I would love to see Brendan Dillon uh, in his in his home market and the thing with Winnipeg is like every team should be calling Winnipeg right now because who knows what they're gonna do they're, they're in such a tough spot right now
1: they are the most interesting team to watch this offseason and there's the big four that I mentioned earlier on right Shifley Wheeler you look at Pierre Luc Dubois and of course Connor Hellebuck but there's also other pieces other players That you do wonder about their future and you know Brendan Dillon to me is one of them that fits that profile It's not necessarily how skilled is this individual? How can they move the puck? Uh, Can can they fill that role that is needed on a roster and I think he does but even beyond him Dylan DeMello is another guy that I know you know certain people like a little bit more than I do I Mm -hmm. you know he plays the right-hand side he's he's of the bigger variety Uh, but I would still, if I had to take a pick, I'd go Dylan instead. You know, six foot four, two twenty five, plays that heavy game. When you're talking about tougher to play against in the corners, in front of the net, that's kind of what the Canucks need. They need yeah. players that can fill that type of role.
0: And I think anything that you know, it's only a million dollars in savings, but it is a player that helps you more, right? On or, or at least fits what you need more than necessarily Connor Garland does. And the thing is, it's it's one year, right? So anything, if you're trading, like. I'm not of the mind that you have to get Connor Garland off this team as you said. I think he there's a very clear way he can help you, but if you're doing it and you're not retaining and you're cutting 2 years off the commitment, that then I'm very open to the idea. Then it makes sense. That's so much different than oh, we're paying a team a third round pick to get off of Connor Garland or we're buying out Connor Garland or anything like that, right? So at least there's that's productive. That's opening up cap flexibility. Uh, in the future. So I like it. I mean it's no Yan Ruda trade. Right? Uh, come I thought on. that one was pretty uh, good. Yanruda
1: two and a half for two years. Come on, Jamie. That is uh Hey
0: look. You know Kyle Dubas and Jim Rutherford have been known to make a trade or two together. They have. They have. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know they've talked already. I'm sure they have. Yeah and
1: the Winnipeg Jets and the Canucks haven't really done that much business of late. No. Nope. So you're right. Know. You you have that. Um when you're comparing both of those options, I'm not really talking about Ruda, I'll be honest. But when it comes to <laughs> D- when it comes to Dylan, I'm ignoring Jan Ruda. I'm kind of with everyone. Ransom nobody
0: as well. nobody wants to to recognize how how prescient I'm being with this prediction. But
1: when it comes to the Dylan comparison with other players, yep. right? Look at free agency. Look at left shot D that are going to be cheaper.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm looking at a Carson Susie, mm-hmm. but you're still going to have to give three potentially at four least. years. Yep. you're looking at even a Mikola. Who's a, a you know a big yep. defenseman who played well in St. Louis to a certain degree? He was actually well liked in the Rangers organization for his limited time. But what are you gonna have to do there? Probably looking at a two-three year deal, mm-hmm. uh, and you're gonna probably have to pay around two point seven to three million dollars for both of those guys. Do you want to commit ten million dollars or nine million dollars to you know defensemen that are 28, 29 years of age? Yep. and that's so you know this is a, a lower risk option, but you do have versatility because a defenseman like this can play both sides.
0: Well, and the other thing is and and you know you're making this point with Besser versus Garland as a trade chip and look, it's it sounds like maybe Besser is not even really on the market yeah. to the same degree, but even though I I like Garland as a player a lot, the reason I'm, you know, out there looking for and trying to find these trade fits is as much as we all expect this team to look very different next year, right? Or there I think there's a desire for this team to look very different next year. If you start to actually go through the roster and kind of power rank, you know, who's the most likely to move? Who's the most likely to not be on this team next year? And, you know, not counting, like, you know, Jack Nika or something, right? Of, like, kind of key players, players who saw significant time – it's Connor Garland with a bullet at number one because every other player you can go through and, like, Brock Besser rescinded his trade request. You know, OEL, we know, impossible to move. Tyler Myers has the the, uh, the uh, signing bonus situation, which is extremely difficult, and no trade protection, which is extremely difficult to deal with, you know. Is there an appetite for Anthony Beauvillier to, to trade him? We've talked about JT Miller ad nauseum. It's just outside of Connor Garland, I can't find the logical player to move and it has me wondering like if this management group is really serious about reshaping this roster right and adding all, so many of the things they've talked about could we be in for some surprises right like are we too narrowly focused on you know Garland Besser Myers OEL are they going to almost have to think more outside of the box on this roster to to change things up a little bit because it's not easy to find those obvious other candidates to move here
1: no and you know you look at that third line role is is gonna be something that I'm watching really closely because we talk about Connor Garland being, you know, so important to that third mm-hmm. line. But if keeping Garland means you have to spend less on the on third the line center. center, you know, is that worth keeping him? Yeah. So even though he's the play driver, if you are able to make a move like for a Brendan Dillon or a Jan Ruder or whoever, fill in the fill in the blank mm-hmm. That million that you save, that million plus that you save, are you just getting a higher quality center via trade or most likely free agency? So to me, you're right. There's not many options there. And this is a a tough situation for the Canucks. And listen, you do it yourself. You spend money in inefficient ways. You inherit a a number of contracts that are not good contracts. And this is the conundrum that Patrick Alvin has. But you have to make tough decisions like that. So to me, I, I look at, you know, that Internal dialogue that the Canucks are having right now, in Connor Garland. Yeah, he's really the only one with real value.
0: And even that, I mean, value is like relative to everything else, for sure. You for know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think there are some teams that would give you something, but you know, and as we start to talk about um, the buyout window opening up, right, and you hear some of the other names that are on that list of potential buyout candidates, like a you know a Kyler Yamamoto in Edmonton. And the one thing is the the thing that makes it potentially tough to move Garland is just there's so many other wingers who are going to be available one way or another. Yep. Whether it's in a bargain trade, whether it's because they get bought out, whatever it is, like there's going to be a lot of those guys on the market and that that's why I wonder, even if you like Garland as a team how willing are you going to be to part with, you know, a genuine asset to get him? Fair
1: enough but it's all about leverage, right? Yep. And certain teams don't Necessarily have the same leverage, and that's why it links me back to Winnipeg, where you're in a situation you're kind of desperate. You have four players, maybe plus, that want to leave town or are going to leave town, and you still have to be somewhat competitive. So you're right, but that trade value for Winnipeg. But you know, hey, listen, even even a team like Buffalo, right? Like they're on the uptick. Yeah, yeah. But getting players to sign in Buffalo long term still tough. It's kind of like the Toronto Raptors, like. The reason that yeah. they won the championship was Kawhi Leonard, but if Kawhi had his shot in free agency, as we saw... Yeah, he's he not going there. He's not going he's there. not going there. So there will always be a certain level of desperation with some franchises compared I, to others. I
0: do wonder, though, if a team like... I think Winnipeg is in its own class, honestly, in the NHL. Like, with a team like Buffalo, you're still in the States, which matters for a lot of American guys. For a Canadian, it's like, well, I'm, it may as well be Canada, yeah. right? It's basically... Yeah. <laughs> it's Buffalo, it's on the border, it feels Canadian. And I do wonder, like, this is where you, how you're building your team plays such a role in getting people to stay. And you know, this ties into like the Elias Patterson conversation and all of that. You know, if I'm a free agent, I'm looking. Okay, they have Tage Thompson. They have Rasmus Dalin, sure. They have like, if I'm a, oh. a winger or something, it's like that's pretty interesting. No, you know, now even play with Tage Thompson. That sounds good.
1: Even with Chicago, they're going to be terrible next year, but they have Connor Bedard for the next, uh, not officially, but they will have him for the next decade. That all of a sudden makes your life a lot. Simpler if you're a free agent to say oh, I can play next to that guy the Connor McDavid example, right? Yeah Ottawa if you go back to that about three years ago, they were in that discussion with Winnipeg nobody wants to go there They're on a lot of no trade lists Brady Kachuk changed that you know having now Jacob Chikrin has changed that so you can get out of that
0: but the problem is Winnipeg's kind of in that. They're kind of in. I don't know if Winnipeg can get out of it. Like barring a McDavid or a Bedard, you know what I mean. I don't know because they had a decent team for a while. They had that core. They didn't have like a true top of the league superstar. But but they did this to themselves, though. They did.
1: Patrick Laine wanted to stay there, and they actually sided with the leadership group, which who we now know is not exactly going to stay in. In Winnipeg for very long. They sided with the leadership group rather than Patrick Liney, and we know how that turned
0: out. Yes, and then they got Dubois, and Dubois was like, actually I don't want to be here either. <laughs> My dad <laughs> works for the HL team, but... Sorry guys! It's not that cool. Uh, Halls in Surrey says, uh, Dylan plays like a younger Luke Shen! BX a combo, just what we need. That's from Halls in Surrey. Uh, he's not even that much younger than Luke Shen, Brendan Dillon. He's like a year younger or something. They're, they <laughs>
1: both have birthdays in November. Yeah. So... <laughs> Dylan will be 33. Yeah. And I think,
0: will Shen be 34? 34. Yeah, so he's one year younger. He's one year younger. Uh, This one, uh, how about Besser for Wheeler? Straight up. Who says no? Well, Wheeler, I mean, Wheeler only has one year left on his deal. Now, the question would be, would he waive? But also, I don't know if that's the type of player that Canucks management is interested in bringing in at this point. Like, Wheeler's effectiveness, his five-on-five play has dropped off a lot. I don't know if if that's what they're looking to add, especially at that ticket. It gets you off a year of Besser. I understand that. I'm not sure. I see a fit there from a Canucks.
1: Straight up, though, who would you rather have on your team if you're trying to make the playoffs?
0: Probably Blake Wheeler. You, really? I don't know. His yeah, game is falling off. You're a right. Cliff. It is like five on off. five,
1: and I know there's a lot of like
0: it's falling off. Concerned
1: so with Brock Besser, and he hasn't shown that 29 goal, you know, at, that skill that he had in his rookie year. Blake Wheeler's five on five game is not there. not there. Paul it's Maurice a couple there. years ago stood up for him and had this press conference to say, hey, you guys are looking at that wrong analytics. How dare you? Yeah, last year summed up how Blake Wheeler is not that guy anymore.
0: Uh, and this comes in as well. How about Logan Stanley for Niels Hoaglander? Uh, Hoaglander is an interesting one as a potential trade chip. You know, we heard a lot of positives about Hoaglander from Tockett, from Malvine towards the end of the year based on what he was doing in, a- in the AHL. Now, there could be an element there of yep. trying to pump him up in the public, right? So teams think that you value him a certain way, and then you can use him as a trade chip. I still want to see what Niels Hoaglander can do playing for Rick Tockett in the NHL, right? Because he's had such a, a kind of tumultuous time in the NHL mm-hmm. from being thrown into the top six. You know, both Travis Green and Bruce Boudreau having issues with his defensive play going down to the AHL. I'd like to see him get a stable shot in the NHL lineup. I also understand – You know, he might be one of the most valuable trade ships you have if you're the Canucks. For me, I think Hoaglander has more upside than Logan Stanley, and I'm not sure you can be sacrificing upside at this point if you're the Canucks with a player like Hoaglander.
1: I agree with that, and also I would say, you know, we're looking at situations that improve your cap. That would not. That's essentially, you know, a play. Because you're
0: going to have to pay Logan Stanley, yeah.
1: Exactly, and on top of that, I remember, you know, in one of the scrums last year, I asked – Rick Talkett about going to watch a game in Abbotsford and what he thought of Linus Carlson, the guy that had scored 20 goals and the whole thing. He answered that in five seconds and then automatically switched to Niels Hoaglander. I didn't even ask about Niels Hoaglander. I think there's an enthusiasm for Niels Hoaglander and the style he plays with the lack of north-south players that the Canucks have within this coaching staff to see what they can get out of this player.
0: Yep. Uh, no doubt about it. All right, 650-650, you can keep your texts coming in. It's a special Canucks talk live at Nat Bailey Stadium for a nooner. They're facing the Hillsborough Hops at 1. Come on by, say hi. Uh, more Canucks talk coming up. Former Canucks coach Bruce Boudreaux on the Halford and Bruff show. Uh, we'll play a clip back from Boudreaux. I want to talk a little bit about uh, some things going on in the Pacific Division as well and how it might be stacking up next year uh, and we'll do our friday draft if we have time in the next segment all that coming up it is canucks talk here on sportsnet 650. welcome back to canucks talk here on sportsnet 650 jamie dodd randeep janda live from matt bailey stadium for a nooner at the Nat, coming up at 1 o'clock here. Uh, come by, say hi if you're coming out to the Nat. Looks like the rain is going to hold off for the rest of the day. We're live from the Mobile Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, lots to get into. Bruce Boudreau, former Canucks head coach on uh, with Halford and Bruff earlier today. Very interesting interview. Always interesting to hear from Bruce. Get some perspective on what he's up to now, what he, his plans are for the future. And uh, you might recall this, Randy. While Boudreau is here, there was a lot of debate about the word structure. Was it Bruce Boudreau's system that had the Canucks playing atrocious defense? Was it the personnel? What was going on? Uh, and Halford and Bruff asked Boudreau to weigh in on that a little bit. Here's what he had to say.
2: Well, all I know is I've won a President's Trophy, a Jennings Trophy. Um, we've won. Uh, we've been – my teams have been number one in the power play often, uh, number one in penalty killing, number one in defense, and we use the same system. So uh, – i got to believe that, uh, uh, you know, we can talk about structure all we want, but uh, I, think, uh, it, it <laughs> I think it it, I think was overblown quite a bit.
0: So that's Canuck, former Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. First of all, I love the uh, you know, a little bit of the confidence, the swag there, running yep. through his resume, President's Trophy, you know, actually a really impressive defensive record in a lot of places that he's been, which he doesn't necessarily always get credit for. And he says the whole talk about structure was overblown, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm doing my system. You know, you can kind of uh, read between the lines there and, and hear him saying that, you know, maybe it was more about the personnel I was given to work with than anything else. I, I find this whole debate really interesting because it's clearly not one or the other. Yep. Like, I think we can all look and see what, what the Canucks were doing on the ice under Bruce Boudreaux and know that – whether it was the same structure, the same system he was using in previous stops, for whatever reason, it wasn't clicking. Maybe it's this group of players that wasn't working with them. They weren't understanding it. Whatever it was, it wasn't working. It was not producing acceptable results on the ice. But I think you can also acknowledge that and clearly look at the defensive personnel. And I mean defensive personnel in terms of the blue line, but also the defensive ability of the forwards and the penalty kill. And the personnel is far far from blameless here also so we all we have this debate we've had this debate a lot and I, I you know I respect Bruce Boudreaux weighing in but I think this is clearly an instance where it's a little bit of both here right it, two things can be true at the same time well if you look at Bruce's resume he
1: goes through some of it but from 2007 to 2017 he only missed the playoffs once mm-hmm. when he was coaching so yes that there one of the highest winning percentages amongst NHL coaches in the history of the game so yes it has worked in other other places. But one thing I look back with this chapter of Canucks history now over, and that's kind of what this interview also signaled was, all right, you can talk about it now. It's mm-hmm. it's closed the book on that aspect of the Bruce Boudreaux era in Vancouver is that the team, the hire in, in the first place to me, was one that was a short-term fix. It was. Yep. And it got what it wanted in terms of getting back into the playoff pitcher anyways they didn't make the playoffs but they were in that pitcher for that season that's that was the intention of that hire was it built for long-term success did that have the personnel to really make that system work no it didn't it weren't the right players and we found that out the first two or three weeks of Rick talkett's tenure on the job where he was saying pretty harsh things to his team about the way that they were playing yep he was very direct with it so yes part of it was structure Part of it was Bruce Boudreaux not being able to make those changes on the PK, not being able to to get his players to commit to better defense, which Talkett did in spurts, did in uh, moments. If you look at some of those statistics down, you know, obviously goaltending helped with that and getting saves, but there was improvement in the way that they played, 100% protected the middle of the ice. Bruce wasn't able to do that, but the personnel is a problem with Rick Talkett as well. Yeah. So I look at those comments and I say, in the end, it's a results-based game. You know, the Canucks waited too long to make that move, and it was bad PR from that perspective, but the results are the result. Yep. But was that a hire
0: that yep. was a long-term hire? I don't think it was from day one. The way I would look at it, I mean, Bruce Boudreau himself acknowledged that early sure. in his tenure, right? Yeah. Like, I don't I don't last very long in these, <laughs> in these Bruce, jobs. there it is. Bruce, there he goes. Yep. He mentioned it himself. He did. But the, uh, the way I would look at it is, Tockett clearly raised the floor in terms of defensive results, right? In a way that Bruce Boudreaux wasn't able to do to raise the ceiling, to get it to a true contender level, yeah. you can't you're not going to be able to just do that with coaching. Right? It's going to take significant personnel changes. You still want to raise the floor. You still want to have that baseline of competence that Talkett brought in, but it's also very, very evident and management knows this. They've talked about upgrading it all. They they're they're fully aware of it. It's very evident that you're going to need uh to improve the personnel, too.
1: Well, one thing that we saw in the talk at, you know, aspect or the part of the season was cohesion. Players not playing as individuals. Players playing as a collective. And if I have to look back at the Bruce Boudreau experience, that was the biggest knock. When you're in the defensive side of the ice, if a player makes a mistake, are you doubling down on that mis- mistake or are you not? And the ability, the inability to really – really manage that and, and correct that situation and going back to that press conference now the infamous Jim Rutherford press conference where he essentially said we want to play with more st- structure, uh, analytics is something we want to focus on, you know, there was one specific moment saying every player needs to know where the other player is going to do and where they need to be on the ice. That was a, a, an, a challenge issued really. Mm. And they came back the following season and that was not the case. With Tockett now, you do see that structure. And that's not only him, that's, you know, Sergey Gonchar, that's obviously Adam Foote. As a collective, they're able to make those changes. So we can say Thatcher Demko had a big role in that him coming back and getting great saves uh, was a part of the experience, guys. But there was a, you know, an individual style of game being played with Bruce Boudreau that was eventually corrected to a certain degree, anyways. Yeah,
0: to, uh, to a certain degree, for sure. Uh, This text comes in six fifty, six fifty. Uh, Boudreaux's rattling off awards like I rattle off what variety of drinks I've had on a night, a night out. Just running down one the place. shot of
1: tequila, <laughs> two vodka crans, <laughs> I got a
0: couple beers in there. You know, <laughs> it's
1: like when you're going over your receipt the next day in the morning. Like, L- oh, Long what Island
0: iced tea. Uh, it is Canucks talk It's not here. on mine. <laughs> Sportsnet 650. Uh, you keep getting your text at 650-650. Um, as we, uh, you know, continue to look ahead to the offseason and then going into next season, there's a couple of things, a couple of I- interesting stories or news items about other Pacific Division teams, which caught my eye this week and especially today that, uh, you know, because a big part of the Canucks push is going to be the relative strength of the Pacific Division and one of them was there's a great story up at the Athletic right now uh, from a trio of writers about the dysfunction behind the scenes with Calgary and Daryl Sutter, right? And we've heard a little bit about this publicly, but it goes more in depth about how some of the players were feeling and just how bad it was and how dysfunctional it was. That's one thing, and so it gets me wondering you know, we're all counting on a coaching change that has already been made to really help the Canucks. How much can just improving the atmosphere in Calgary get them back up to, you know, legitimate playoff contention? That's one thing. The other thing is Elliott Friedman today on 32 Thoughts saying that the LA Kings are very, very interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to go there, right? But the way Friedman's talking, it's they are potentially a leading candidate to trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I look at that. If LA is going Kopitar, Dubois, Philip Deneau down the middle, that is a a very, very solid base for a team that's already a 100-plus point team right now. And all of a sudden, you look at the Pacific, and for, for all the talk that it's you know always oh, a weak division going into last year, you've got the defending Stanley Cup champs. You've got the team that gave them the most trouble in the Edmonton Oilers. They had four 100-point teams already. The only division to do that yeah. last year after the Kraken hit 100 points, you've got Calgary that could rebound. You've got the Canucks that are trying to push forward. The only non-entities for the next year, at least, are Anaheim and San Jose, and all of a sudden, you know, if Dubois ends up with the Kings, if Calgary really was being held back that much by Daryl Sutter, like, we could be looking at one of the stronger divisions in the league here in a hurry, Randy.
1: Yeah, and when you start looking at L.A., this is a scary part. You mentioned Dubois. How about if they get a <coughs> quality goaltender, right? How about if they get a mm-hmm. situation where they've got a lot of assets that they can include in a Pierre-Luc Dubois deal? They can be, a, you know, a team that maybe doesn't require a – uh, you know, a Connor Hellebuck, but can you do a Varlamov in free agency? Mm-hmm. Like, if they go there, that's a, that's a quality goaltender. They've got some
0: low-hanging fruit because their, goal- their goaltending was awful, right? So maybe sure. they just get, like, average goaltending, that's a big deal for L.A. For sure.
1: So they're going to be a team that, yeah, I think not only now, but the future. Let's just say the Pierre-Luc Dubois thing does not work out. Okay. It doesn't happen. Are they not a long-term player for uh, Austin Matthews? I-, I look at that. L.A., and Zay Kopitar and that salary is gonna come off the books at some point. He's gonna retire at some point He's not gonna play forever Does that coincide with Austin Matthews hidden free agency? And I know there's you know people are pretty optimistic in Toronto But if there's one dark horse that I'm looking at for Austin Matthews long term to me That's the LA Kings because that's that, an interesting one. It's a US market. He was born in California, San Ramon, California It's the West Coast. It's obviously being a franchise player in a huge market and a team that is ready to compete right now So Dubois helps them, but the scary thing could be that if they play this long game and they hold on to some prospects, maybe they end up, you know, parting with some prospects for another player, maybe a goaltender, they could play the long well, game really strong here.
0: You know, the thing with L.A. is you're right, because you're right about the Kopitar deal. It's his last year of his deal, he's making $10 million. Now... Could he play beyond that? Probably, but at a drastically reduced salary, you Thir- would think. Third-line center? Third-line center, and they, hey, that's a good position to be in. If you've got relatively cheap Anze Kopitar as your third-line center, they're going to try to replace that salary and that spot in the lineup. And just at some point, I look at L.A., like they're going to cash their chips in. Right? Oh, yeah. They've spent a long time collecting prospects. They've done a little bit of it. You know, they, they go trade for Kevin Fiala, uh, Gavrikov. They, they make the cap dump. They've done it a little bit, but I think there's like one – hyper aggressive. We're going at we're doing our Matthew Kachuk, right? Yep. Or we're doing our Mark Stone. We're doing something at that level. Dubois, I think, is an interesting name. I'm not surprised that they're extremely heavy on him. The Austin Matthews one is interesting. I'll throw out another couple of names. One that the Canucks fans will not like to hear. But I would say Sebastian Aho. What about Elias Pettersson? Like if there's any if there's any hint that Elias Pedersen doesn't want to sign an extension, if you're L.A. and you're looking for that top of the lineup center, yeah. right, a guy who, you know, in 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 Ajo's case, it could be, does Carolina want to pay term and money what it's going to cost to keep him? In Pedersen's case, who knows? But, like, those are the calls I'm making if I'm L.A. With with the prospects they have, the future cap flexibility of Kopitar's money coming off the books, like – this is their time to go for it, to be aggressive, to push all in.
1: It's funny that you mentioned oh, Elias Petterson is I'm sure people are going to have nightmares uh because of that. <laughs> They're probably having nightmares. They They're probably having nightmares if I was, of the – Your was, Jan Ruta mentioned from yesterday, but if, now
0: <laughs> And I'm not saying this is happening or anything, but I'm just saying if I was like take a step back, pretend you're not from Vancouver and you're just looking around the league and sure. you're making a list of big-name guys that L.A. could be interested in, he'd be on your list. Situations, That's all I'm saying.
1: Situations you're watching. That's all I'm saying. And, yeah, that that one, obviously, I think if you're a team like L.A., you're looking at a couple of big names. Uh, the Sebastian Ajo one I find really interesting because who's the GM that put in an offer sheet for him? It was Mark Mar- Bergevin. Where is he now?
0: He's in L.A. That's an interesting one.
1: Yeah, so there is a connection to, you know, liking the player. And, really, Sebastian Ajo has – Mark Brujerman to think yep. because he's the one that provided that deal that essentially gave him another payday, forced Carolina to to match. And remember, he accepted the offer sheet for Montreal too. So there was an yep. appetite to actually join the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, Elias Pedersen, I think, is is an interesting one. But Sebastian Aho, like that one, I actually think about twice because I'm thinking. There's a history there. There's a
0: connection there. And, again, Carolina, they do things differently, right? If there was a team that would be willing to say, you know what, we'll take the younger players and the salary cap flexibility and give you Sebastian Ajo because we have confidence in doing what we do and replacing it, you know, through committee, using those assets, like it might be Carolina. And I just look at L.A. Like they were – you know they were in on Shcherbina, right? Yep. They made the Kevin Fiala deal. Like this is this is the mode they are in. They are in try to find that big fish, and I think we're going to keep hear them hearing them connected to everyone who's on the market until they actually go out and land. So,
1: guy. if anything, if you're a rival in the Pacific Division, you're hoping that they be- get Pierre Luc Dubois because the other alternatives are actually better players. There's a lot of there's a degree of difficulty associated with the Sebastian Ajos and the Austin Matthews, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but if you're in NHL player LA is a great place to play when that team is relevant and they're going to be relevant for the next 10 years. So for a Pacific division rival, it's a scary thought. They are definitely going to be up there because they've got the assets. They've got the young players and they've got the ability to, to trade for star players. Calgary, the Calgary mention is one that I find I'm not surprised by, but when a team and hockey players, we talk to them all the time, obviously in our profession and most often not, when you talk about captaincies, most players will say, hey, no, we got four or five leaders in this room. It, we don't need a C on our chest to, to really, you know, have that. There's no real hierarchy. There's a bunch of captains. There's a bunch of leaders. The noise coming out of Calgary this year was the veteran leadership wanted a captain there. Mm. And why do you think that's the case? Somebody essentially to stand up to, to Daryl Sutter. To be a counterweight to Daryl Sutter, right? Exactly. So how often do you hear that? Because most – often hockey players will be try to downplay it. And the noise coming out of Calgary just tells you how dysfunctional that group was. Craig Conroy is probably the happiest person on the planet. Like, smiling all the time. His media availability is a certain type. They've also now got, you know, a guy that has seen what Daryl Sutter's done in the room yep. and the way that he was, you know, communicating with players. Huska's not going to tr- do that. Conroy's, so that vibe is going to be a lot better. Yep. I still do have questions about Huberto and how he's going to respond overall. He's never been the 1A anywhere. Nope.
0: I, and that's the thing. I, I don't know if Calgary is going to reach the heights that we thought they might be able to when they did the Huberto, Kadri, and Uyghur deals, but I look at them at, at almost a little bit of a similar situation to the Bruins, right? Like veteran team done with the coach, right? The Bruins were done with Cassidy. Bergeron might retire. Krejci might not come back. They make the coaching change. The vibes are completely different. We see what they do this year, Now, I'm not saying Calgary is going to go have a historic regular season. It's a different situation. I understand that. But if just making the coaching change gets the guys who might be thinking, ah, maybe do I want out? If it just gets them to buy back in, they could easily go from a 93 point team to 100 or 103 point team. Maybe they're not a top, uh, you know, a top line Stanley Cup contender, but there's still enough talent there that if the head coach isn't completely sewering the atmosphere, right, that they should be a very competitive team.
1: I I guess the question is, has the damage been done when it comes to Elias Lindholm and players of that nature where you're Noah Hannafin. Noah
0: Hannafin. If they're just like, no, I don't care what he's gone. I still want out. Exactly. The the
1: grass is greener because other teams have a better chance to win. Or, you know what, I'm going to hit up UFA status because the cap hopefully will go up next year. And therefore, I I just want to hit the free market. I want to see what other teams can offer me. And you're right, that is a team that could fluctuate a lot, though, because they could be in that conversation of up there with the Winnipeg, or sorry, the, uh, the Edmontons and the, the Vegases of the world, Seattle, Vancouver, name that, that group that you mentioned outside of the two California teams that are not going to be in it. But they could also plummet, too. If Craig Conroy realizes two or three That's of his players thing. don't want to stick around and they're not going to sign, he's already mentioned that. He's not going to go through the Johnny Gaudreau experiment. If
0: you have to trade Elias Lindholm that's a huge blow right and then if you start adding that on top of Noah Hannifin, on top of you know Tyler Toffoli it sounds like he's more interested in sticking around but yeah. right if if you start to layer it there's a bunch of guys that you feel like you have to move the interesting thing for me though is i do wonder with Calgary even if they are forced to kind of move some of those UFAs are they almost in a bit of a Winnipeg situation where you know, you still have Hubert Okadri, Uyghur, signed long-term. You still have Jacob Markstrom under contract for three years. You're hoping he can bounce back. Like, do you feel almost like you have to, instead of trading Noah Hannafin for futures, get players back so you can still be competitive? Like, even if they trade those guys, I wonder how much they're going to target pieces that can help them right now.
1: Part of this discussion is, like, when you when you break from the previous regime completely, mm-hmm. there's a thought of, okay, you set your course. You you do what you want to do. The fact that both hires were done internally tells me there's going to maybe be a continuation of what they started, right? You would think so normally. For sure, right? Craig Conroe is a part of those negotiations. He's been a part of the messaging in the past with Brad True Living. He learned from Brad True Living. So I would actually think that they're going to do the Winnipeg. They're going to reload. They're going to try to move those players, and if they move them, in hockey deals. And the Matthew Kachuk situation, whatever you want to call it. Is that a good thing for them is debatable because you talk about Jacob Markstrom. Yes. He's on a three-year deal. You want him to, to rebound back, but Wolf is, you got Justin Wolf there. He's the star of the future. So Mm -hmm. are you undercutting yourself to a certain degree? Um, and is that the right thing to do? So I think they're going to go in that direction. I think they're going to try to reload and they're going to try to, if players want to leave, that's fine. We're going to get quality players with term coming back the other way. But in this division, you mentioned it, Edmonton, is going to be a problem. Yep. Vegas, we know what they're going they are. to be a problem. They're going to be a problem. Seattle has proven a lot of people wrong this year, where they're saying, "All right, you don't have that one star. Doesn't matter." But yep. Matty Baneers is going to be that star in the next couple of years. He's that type of player. He's going to get better. That's going to be a tough division. And if you're just kind of mediocre or slightly above average, it's a tough division to be. And that's honestly a, a you know a conversation the Canucks are going to be in potentially as well. If mm-hmm. you You know, you have to be a – to be a C-plus B-level team in this division or a B-minus level team, it's a very, very difficult spot to be in because there's some heavyweights in this division.
0: And it it wouldn't surprise me at all if five playoff teams are coming out of the Pacific, right? Like you mentioned Seattle. And, you know, could I see a little bit of regression from Seattle? Maybe, but they also have the pieces to improve if they want or they have the cap space to go out and improve and add some pieces if they're interested in doing that. And I have to think, you know – Ron Francis, yes, he's been very patient, but you also you get to the second round of the playoffs, you know, you establish that interest and that hype in the city. Like I think they wanna they they wanna keep pushing, I'm sure, right? So they're looking for ways to improve and you just start to add it up, you know, compared to the central in particular. Right, as we just focus on the Western Conference, I think the the Pacific is going to be significantly stronger than the Central Division. When you talk about Winnipeg, who knows what they're doing? Nashville, yep. maybe taking a step back. St. Louis, kind of in chaos a little bit, right? Like Arizona and Chicago are <laughs> complete jokes. Yeah, they're, they're borderline <laughs> AHL teams they're at this point. They're borderline AHL teams. Um, this text comes in, uh, trade OEL and Demko to Edmonton for Jack Campbell+. plus. I don't think I see that one happening. Yeah, no. Don't don't think I see that one happening.
1: I like Seelovs, but come on now. No Demko deals. Can we can we put like a moratorium on Thatcher Demko deals?
0: Yeah, the Demko. I think we are we're not allowed to talk about a Thatcher Demko deal until, like, unless Elias Patterson is no longer here. You know what I mean? Because that's the scenario where sure. you start to think about it. Then but you again, have to reload. Until that yeah. happens, it's like mm, they're they're keeping Demko. Maybe like last year of his contract, something like that. If Seelovs is really you know, continued his uh, his uh, uh, trajectory, maybe then we can start to think about it. But, uh, yeah, until then, it's not happening.
1: Okay, I, I don't even believe in that deal because I think when you have a top-five goaltender in the league that is making still value money, you don't consider that deal. However, in a summer where Connor Hallibuck is available, you really want to be in that conversation where everybody is is everybody's lining up for that guy, whether mm. it's New Jersey, whether it's potentially Buffalo, whether it's potentially L.A. There's even rumblings that maybe Carter Hart would be out there where... You know, I know he didn't have, in the last couple of years, have been up and down, but this year was better than his previous year. And if you're looking at younger goalies, like, there is going to be a lot of goalies on the market. So I don't even agree, agree with the Thatcher Demko trade dis- proposals. Like, moratorium, I don't want to see them. Uh, but especially this year, guys. There's going to be actually, like, Varlamov, a free agent, right? You've got yep. guys Tristan that... Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari. Like, there's a glut of guys. Um, so even in a in a normal year, you know, having a Vesna level guy in Connor Hellebuck available, yeah, that's teams are going to be chasing after him.
0: It's Canuck's talk here on Sportsnet 650. We're live at Nat Bailey Stadium. Uh, Canadians, Josh Kasovich, second-round pick out of Oregon last year, now with the Seas. He will join us next ahead of their game against the Hillsborough Hops. It is Canuck's talk here on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Welcome back here to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Randy Janda here today. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are here live at Nat Bailey Stadium where the Canadians are going to take on the Hillsborough Hops coming up at 1 o'clock. Tyler Zickel will have uh, the call for you at 1 o'clock. And we are very pleased now to be joined by uh, shortstop. For the Canadians, Josh Casavich. Josh, thanks
3: for doing this, man. How are you? Of course. I'm doing great. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to get to chat with you today. And, uh, you know, things have been going pretty well for the Canadians as a whole recently. I know the the loss last night. But uh, before that, on a little bit of a roll, what's been going well for you guys right now?
3: Yeah, uh, a lot of things are going well. Pitching has been great. Um, and hitters are getting, getting timely hits and competing in the moments where it means the most.
1: And when you look at, you know, what's going on with this team, I think first year in Vancouver, um, you know, what's been that vibe so far this season for you on a personal level where just coming to a new town, uh, maybe getting used to this weather a little bit as a California guy?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. Uh, the weather's not too crazy. I went to school in Oregon, yep. so there very similar to that. But I don't think there's a better minor league town to be in. Um, Bless every day that I'm here and, and just lucky.
0: Yeah, and it's been a lot of uh, individual success for you here too. I know hitting up over 300, one of the league leaders in batting average. And, you know, it's interesting because the game has changed a little bit, right? Maybe not the same emphasis uh, on batting average that uh, that there was when I was growing up and watching baseball. What is it about your approach that's, that's allowed you to have that success this year?
3: Yeah, I think it's just uh, sticking, sticking to what I've always done and always done well, um, finding holes in the defense and trying to exploit it. Um, not trying to do too much when I'm up there and, and just trying to put the ball and play hard.
1: So, you know, we have an opportunity to talk to a number of your teammates over the years as well, and just the, the pipeline that the Blue Jays organization is creating, The uh, you know, going from Dunedin to now Vancouver, just are there a lot of commonalities within, within the system? So when you come to Vancouver, it's, it's very much similar to what you were, you know, learning in Dunedin. Is there a lot of, uh, you know, I guess infrastructural kind of uh, commonalities that you're seeing from city to city?
3: Yeah, they do a great job kind of keeping the programs the same. Um, When we go into spring training, we do a lot of – we set the groundwork for the season to come. Uh, I think, to my knowledge, all the affiliates do a lot of the same preparation work uh, leading up into the game. So when you go – from Dunedin to Vancouver okay. or whatever it may be. It's a lot of the same work that you're doing, um, which is really nice because there's a lot of change out there. So having that consistency is huge.
0: Yeah, that's always one of the things that strikes me about in the minors. There's a lot of turnover, guys getting promoted, guys going to different places. How do you kind of work to build that that team environment and that team culture in those circumstances?
3: Yeah, this is my, my first go at it, so it's uh, it's new to me for sure. Um, but I think it's just a strong, a strong core group of guys that – know how to play baseball, I know how to win. Um, and I think the Blue Jays have done a great job with getting that at all the levels they have. Um, so that's that's where I can I can see it come from.
1: So looking back, uh, doing a little research on your family history. So your dad, professor at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Your brother played at Stanford. You went to Oregon, right? I did. Pac-12 well rivalry in the house. So was it pretty fierce, or <laughs> you guys, how did that play out?
3: Uh, yeah, it, he didn't He didn't play at Stanford. He he just went there as a I got student. It. Um, okay. But... I mean, every time they play each other, we like to give each other a little back and forth. My dad, I don't really know where he stands. He's just proud of his sons. Um... But being a professor there gives him a little bit more of an edge for, for the Cardinal. But there's definitely some back and forth going on when, when they would go up head-to-head.
0: So, I mean, your dad's a, a professor at Stanford. I'm guessing you th- you think the game at a high level, I'm going to go out and live here and say. <laughs>
3: uh, I, I like to think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: we're talking to the Canadian shortstop Josh Kasavic here ahead of uh, the Canadians and the Hillsborough Hops uh, coming up at 1 here on Sportsnet 650. So, as I mentioned, you know, one of the league leaders – uh, in batting average and you're also playing shortstop, you know, the most difficult position uh, perhaps other than catcher on the field. How do you balance you know, trying to develop both at the same time, right? Because I imagine there's a lot being thrown at you still early in your pro career. What's it like trying to balance, you know, making those improvements, focusing on your play in the field uh, while also succeeding at the plate?
3: Yeah, it's really just time management. Um, you got to get to the field early and there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. Um, I'm very routine oriented, so making sure those routines are done and done at a high level every day. Um, it all goes into to being able to perform on both sides of the ball.
1: There's a lot of youngsters here. Uh, a few of us, uh, few, We were talking to them a little bit earlier on, as well, of uh, you know who to look out for, and and you know when you were in that position, uh, when you're a young kid, like what shortstop was the one that you tried to model your game? Was there was there one on your list that you would always have?
3: Yeah. So I grew up. Uh, 30 minutes from San Francisco, so it was Brandon Crawford for me. Got yep. a uh, shortstop for a couple World Series teams. Uh, I thought he was the greatest player ever growing up. I idolized him in a sense.
0: <laughs> Those are some fun gi- fun Giants yeah. teams. I was always a oh, huge yeah. uh, I was a huge Tim Lincecum fan. Just like was, for entertainment value to watch pitch, oh yeah, the unreal. Freak. Yeah, he was crazy. Absolutely unreal. Um, what are the next – uh I don't want to say next steps. I mean, obviously everyone's trying to climb the ladder in the minors, but just in terms of developing – your game what are what are those things that you're trying to work on for the rest of this season
3: yeah trying to work on staying consistent with the bat um, just consistent hard contact into the field putting pressure on defenses and and uh pitchers when they when they're up on the mound Uh, and then defensively just expanding my range and uh, being able to make those athletic plays out in the field
0: you know before uh, before we let you go i know some of the rule changes were in place in the minors last year including the pitch clock and now we've seen them all come to the major leagues how's it been for you to adjust as a player and then you know i'm sure you're watching baseball major league baseball when you get the chance i mean what do you think about the entertainment value and the changes just as a viewer and a fan
3: yeah as a player it's definitely different um everybody used to have their old routines of stepping out in between pitches sure. stuff like that and you can't anymore um so it's definitely a little bit different as a hitter uh, just getting right back into the box takes a little bit more thought process going into your at bat not enough time to think in between pitches um but as a fan, I think it's awesome. Uh, games are going faster. They're yep. more exciting. There's more going on. Uh, I think it's great for the game.
0: Josh, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks for uh, chatting with us. Best of luck today and for the rest of the season. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Josh Kasovich, a second-round pick by the Blue Jays and now shortstop here with the Vancouver Canadians, getting set to take on the Hillsborough Hops later today at 1 o'clock. And, uh, yeah, Josh hitting three hundred two. On the season, you don't you don't see necessarily as many 300 hitters as uh, as we used to. Old school. I like that. Yeah. I, I, listen, I love home runs,
1: but it's the, you know, you see yeah, a batter left. like 125, and he's got like 20 home runs.
0: <laughs> the Joey Gallo. The Joey Gallo, <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, nobody wants that. You The Yankees are familiar with those yeah, types I, of lines. That's
1: I, a Yankees-type player right I, there. I understand the right-field porch at Yankee Stadium. I get it, but I still want to see good baseball. Small ball still has a role in this game. But uh, I was here a couple of nights ago. On a Wednesday for the the game, and just an up and down game. It was really entertaining. So mm-hmm. people are trickling in, uh, trickling in now as well. So if you have a free afternoon, maybe you've started your weekend. Come on down. Uh, you still got some time. It's
0: always so funny, right? Because Kasvich, you know, he's just a couple years, just really a year out from Oregon. He's uh, he's 22. And you ask him, you know, who do you model your game on growing up as a shortstop? And you know, immediately in my head, I'm like, No, Mark Garcia. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking exactly. <laughs> no, <thing>. Mark Garcia. <laughs> Jeter, Garcia, Arod, exactly. Yeah. Viscal, someone yeah. used to yeah. have. Yeah, or Viscal, yeah. and it's like, No, Brandon Crawford, who's still playing. Began his career in 2011 and is in fact still playing. It's like, All right, you're a lot, you're a, a lot younger than me. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you ask that question to prospects
1: because you yeah. know sometimes it provides a little bit of. All right, who are they modeling their game after? I remember Ty Smith was somebody I asked that when he, in his draft year, and it was Duncan Keith. Yep. Quinn Hughes said the exact same thing. So you, you can understand where a player is coming from with that, that yeah. answer. Brennan Crawford, damn good player, but, like, I've never felt more old I know. <laughs> than that moment. I know. It's
0: like, you mean kids aren't watching, like, Barry Larkin tape anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Ozzie Smith? <laughs> what are they showing these kids? Brandon Crawford? You're not sitting in libraries watching this archival footage. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing like make to make you feel old, like talking to like uh you know, just incredibly high level athlete who's 22. Oh, right. Yeah. And just hearing their perspective on things. It's you like, know, oh when I used to oh watch
1: boy. the Yankees when I was younger, it was like, I was a lefty, right? Yeah. So Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill. O'Neil. Paul O'Neill was the guy playing in right field. And now I think back, if I were to utter that to somebody like who's 20, they're going to be like, "Who? Are you, what are you talking? You mean the Yes the Network the broadcaster? He played baseball.
0: <laughs> Paul O'Neill, an all-time uh, snap show hothead too in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Was that part of the appeal for oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> he had a screw loose, just like me. He definitely had a screw loose. Definitely had a screw loose. Well, my favorite player was Robbie Alomar, and then he spat it up by his face. So I don't know what that. I don't know what that says Not, uh, what that that me, about me. Tells me, lot, yeah. tells me a lot,
1: Jamie. It tells me a lot. Where, where did this conversation go? I don't know. I don't know. I blame where it on much. Paul O'Neill. Well, here's the
0: thing. Yeah, I mean, blame everything on Paul O'Neill. I hated Paul O'Neill. Oh, drove me nuts. Now I think I like him more because he's just like an eccentric broadcaster. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. When, but, I, when I was growing up, it's like this guy get out of here. He
1: was kind of like the Yankees version of like we, you know left-handed batter, like John Olerud, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I
0: mean, he's no John Olerud.
1: John Olerud, yeah, because he had the the helmet.
0: And John Olerud is a great guy. He's not a not a loose cannon like Paul O'Neill. Wait, you weren't a Jack McDowell fan either? <laughs> you didn't like loose cannons? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it is Canuck Stock. And here's the thing with Canuck talk: when we're live at the Nat. You know, we're talking to a Canadians player. We can loosen up. We can, sure. we can broaden our horizons, stretch our wings. We're
3: going to uh, talk little cricket little now. Here.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're going to go right into cricket. Right into cricket as uh, producer Dom shakes his head in disgust. No, but there is a lot going on uh, around the world uh, of sports this Weekend, And, you know, uh, the Canadian men's national team has a big game coming up against the United States in the uh, CONCACAF Nations League final. And it's interesting to kind of take stock of where the Canadian men's team is, where CONCACAF is as a whole, though, also. Because on the one hand, I feel like we have this real claim to, hey, we could be the best team in CONCACAF. We could be the best team in our confederation. It's not not necessarily the highest bar, though, right now, when you look at how some of the other teams are doing.
1: Yeah, especially looking at that Mexico versus USA match yesterday where the U.S. just throttled Mexico. And it more was an indictment about what Mexico has become as a soccer nation in the last couple years. They were getting ripped to shreds by this U.S. team that is honestly above average. They're not that great. We've seen how mediocre the USA team can be. So... I think it's progress, obviously, for Team Canada, right? Going back to the World Cup, you had your moments, and it was not as positive as, as a lot of people wanted, but still you had your moments, you scored the first goal, mm-hmm. all of that. That's great. Um, but the standards have now kind of shifted, where you're kind of grading CONCACAF on a scale. Yeah. What used to be an A is probably... Well, what used to be a C-plus is now an A in that, in that federation. And so... You kind of look at Canada a little bit more critically to say, okay, you should be beating these teams. It's not yes. about
0: hanging with them anymore. No, You should be beating them. Because I think two things have happened, right? One, obviously Canada has improved so dramatically, right? And with Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies, I mean, you could argue, like, David, you could argue best striker in CONCACAF, Davies' sure. best player, yep. right? So, like, you're already starting at a really strong point, not to mention some of the other talents. So, obviously, Canada has improved dramatically, and Mexico and the U.S. I would say had slid backwards, and I mean, U.S. is going through its own thing with rehiring Berhalter after they fired him, and he hates one of the top players, or the top player's dad hates him. It's Claudia all very, Arena versus the. Yeah, it's Richard. all very like South American football. Love <laughs> really, it, really, for the U.S. right now, and I feel like even their ambitions for what they want to do, like there was a time where the U.S. kind of felt like, okay, we're we're the, we're right there with Mexico, and then our next goal is to get to the level of South America, get to the level of Europe. When I read about the U.S. men's national team now, I feel like their ambition is just to tread water. Like, I don't think they, they're they not even saying, okay, we can hang with the teams in Europe. They're, that's out of the picture for them right now.
1: So going back about two decades, Mexico always used to have talented teams, but they'd have turmoil, right? Like, go back even yep. A, a, yep. 10 years ago when Carlos Vela first, you know, was on the European scene. He was with mm-hmm. Arsenal, and then he ends up coming to MLS later on. But this was a guy that wow, the potential's there. But they'd always have turmoil. They'd always have infighting. Their managers would leave. They'd come back. They'd leave. The USA has kind of turned into Mexico in that regard where you've got this turmoil. With Canada, you have to stay away from that. You have to, like, you cannot sink to the standards of the Confederation. You have to actually just beat these teams. And then when you have opportunities, have friendlies against other, like, go out of your federation more so because Gold Cup, you know, this Champions League, you're win not those competition, win them, right? Win them, yeah. but, like, I, I think the standard has to be like, so much higher now. Because
0: even you look at other teams, like Costa Rica is less, not Older, as good as they used to Panama, be, right? Yeah, yep. like, there's, there's just the level of competition is not what it was. And if it sounds like I'm being negative about, you know, Team Canada, I'm not. They've obviously improved so sure. dramatically. They've got a bright future. I do think, you know, and I did think it was kind of funny, John Herdman was saying, like, oh, we got so much criticism in Canada, more than the rest of the world, after the World Cup, and, Look, man, like, this is – we're not going to just celebrate Canada improving and then all we do is pump their tires forever, right? Like, part of being a bigger deal, part of having more fans, more attention is scrutiny, right? So, yeah – It's great that you got to the World Cup. We're all going to celebrate that. But guess what? We look at the the landscape in CONCACAF now, and the standard is going to be higher. And if the team's not meeting that standard, yeah, there's going to be criticism.
1: But that is is the difference between us being a soccer nation and being an afterthought. And being
0: happy to be there. Exactly. If 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 you want to be more than happy to be there, this comes with the territory.
1: If you want to be a soccer nation, if you legitimately, for the next generation, you're going to be held to standards that may be unfair at times. Like, go to South America and, and talk to, like, Team Uruguay or oh Team... Like, I'm not even talking about the heavies. Like, the medium-level yeah. nations that, you know, put in a good fight or maybe have gone to the quarterfinals or whatever. Let's let's talk about those guys, not the Argentinas and Brazils. Those are soccer nations, and the standard, the expectation in those countries are extremely high. Like, that's what Canada is striving to be. And, yeah, Herdman understands that. He's he's from England. Uh, you know, he's from New Zealand, right? So this is a guy that has, um, you know, he's he's been able to... He's been able to understand that. I think it's just limiting and allowing his players a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of freedom, maybe limiting that pressure. Yep. But this is a, a, a player that, uh, you know, a, a situation right now, that, that heat is going up really, really high. And that's okay. That's a part of being a soccer nation.
0: Uh, It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. We're live at Nat Bailey. Uh, Chris Peters is going to join us at 1230 just to do some NHL draft talk. Uh, Before that, we do it every Friday. Typically, it's me, Drance, and Dimitri, but uh, we mix it up. We make sure we get it done every Friday. We'll bring producer Dom into it here. We like to do our draft, a draft of something, usually something stupid, to be perfectly honest, or something silly. Uh, The last time I was here, it was with Bick, and we drafted yep. vacation destinations in BC. And mm. Bick made one of the worst draft picks of all time, taking Nanaimo in that draft, yeah. which was just truly baffling. It's like the Bruno Caboclo pick or something like that. Nanaimo's two, two years away from me. Shout away. Two years two years 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 away.
1: away. to our Nanaimo
0: listeners though, Yeah, no, 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 no. But it just as a vacation destination. I'm not sure about it's that. Not one. It. So you're already ahead of the game. So right? I did that once. You're not gonna you're not going to I went be to Nanaimo away. once. On vacation I was Like
1: I w- it was kind of like Wait. when I no, I've been to Nanaimo more than once, but it was specifically for a vacation. I was just like, I wanted to get away from the mainland, so I was like, all right, Nanaimo, it is. What did you do? I stayed at the Coast Hotel and s- literally stayed at the hotel. to not get out of the hotel.
3: <laughs> you know that <laughs> that's
1: right on the marina. What now, were you thinking? I just wanted. I worked in news at the time. All I right. needed a de-stress situation. All right.
3: Decompress.
1: I needed to go off on a ferry somewhere, and Nanaimo was the spot. All right. So what we're gonna do today? That's is- a
3: wild story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It
1: was. You I went to the Nivo to sit in a hotel. No, you, like you go and eat and whatever, but like it was <laughs> okay. just like
0: I wanted to avoid people. Working in news does that to you, right? I mean, there is something to be said. I like. I remember so right at the beginning of COVID, I had uh, a friend. Their mom flew out from Ontario to visit them, and they, at that point, you had to do a two-week quarantine, and she did it at a hotel downtown. It's like, you know what? That sounds pretty nice, actually. <laughs> I was like I can kind of see that. I don't know. Sometimes you just. <laughs> Two weeks in a hotel room by myself?
1: Yeah. Here's the slogan for Nanaimo Tourism, when you just (laughs) want to be by yourself. (laughs) Stay
0: in the hotel. All right, so we did vacation destinations around BC. We're going to keep it local today. All right. We're going to do summer activities in the Lower Mainland. Vancouver area, Lower Mainland, whatever. I don't want to get technical. Summer activities in the Lower Mainland. That's what we're drafting. We'll do three rounds, snake draft style. Uh, You're the guest. I'll right. Let you go first. So there's, there's a there. By the way, there's a correct first overall pick. So I hope you make it. Oh. Okay. See, I don't. I don't
1: go by conventional rules, Jamie.
3: <laughs> okay. I feel like all of Randy's picks will involve a patio.
0: Uh,
1: you're not that wrong. <laughs> um, I know that the city of Vancouver is now allowing more of this. Okay. But I've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> Drinking in parks. Okay. That
0: all was... right.
1: That is my number one overall pick. All
0: right. <laughs> all right. It was on my board. I'm not gonna lie. It was on <laughs> my board. I know it was. But it's Drew, fun, and now it's legal. It, apparently it's legal, which is even
1: better. So I don't have to worry about things, but hey, yeah, like, you're going to a park,
0: just nice little walk, hanging out, sitting on a bench. I don't care no, 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 what it is. You, you bring a couple beers, maybe you, you order some takeout or something, you have a little meal in the park with your friends. Why not? I agree. It's great. Maybe you good. order
1: a pizza at the the house across the street, and it gets delivered there, <laughs> but when the guy comes out of the car, you flag him down. I might have done that once or twice in my life.
0: Oh my gosh, Red deep. Red Deep. Just, this is like Confession Friday up yeah. in here. Um, first overall pick. All right. First overall pick drinking in a park. I love it. Simple, not flashy, cheap. That's always nice. Yep. Wouldn't be what I picked first overall, but Dom, you're up. Uh, I'm going to take taking a
3: bike ride around Stanley Park.
0: Yeah, sounds too too active for me. <laughs> what are all right. Would you be a tourist?
3: <laughs> I <laughs> thought that's all <laughs> we were doing. I thought that's all we were
0: doing. Not tourist activities, just summer activities. It's nice. It's nice. Here's I like taking a bike ride Yeah, that though. wasn't on my list. Here's the review from Dom. All right, so I got back-to-back picks here. I will take – well, number. this is the number one overall pick. Coming to Nat Bailey Stadium. Oh, yeah. In the sun? Are you guys kidding me? That was my next How pick. did that last to number three? That was Pumple my next pick. pick. That's Pumple number one bag. with a bullet. Yeah. Dom, what are you doing over there?
1: <laughs> no, he's cycling. That's yeah, what he's cycling. doing. He's,
0: you're all sweaty going through Stanley Park while I'm sitting in the sun having a beer at Nat Bailey. So that's my pick. Yeah, that's, that's my first pick. That might be a, the winner like right a there. Strong. That's like Michael Jordan dropping to three. Yep. Strong, strong pick right there. Uh, and the, no- the other one I'll take is, as you said, Dom, drinks on a patio. And I'll say specifically drinks on a patio waterfront. Somewhere where you can see the water, maybe you see the mountains too, somewhere like view adjacent. So Port not just Moody. any patio. Uh, no, not Port Picky. <laughs>
3: What do you mean? The Brewers Row? No, I like Port Moody. Yeah. I like
0: Port Moody. I have family in Port Moody. First Nanaimo
1: slandered and now no, no, Port no. Moody. Shout out to Port Moody.
0: <laughs> but drinks by the water somewhere with a view. That's my second pick. All right. Dom, so it's you're back up. to me. It's back to you, Dom.
3: Uh, how about a little quick ferry ride over to Bowen Island?
0: All right. Interesting. I like Bowen Island. I thought you were going to say Nanaimo for a second.
3: <laughs> no, we've <laughs> already been there.
0: All right. All right. Big so, Bowen Island guy. Yeah. All right. Interesting. So...
1: Let me just kind of refresh you, John. You said cycling, Stanley Park. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm walking the seawall. Yeah. Like, that strong. Mm-hmm. Like, cycling, in, in my opinion, is overrated on it. You want to walk. You want to stop where you can. You can chat with people. Mm-hmm. You know, say hello to people.
0: It's what you don't have a bike to worry about. And you yeah. got to walk it up somewhere when you get there. And
1: you could swing by a liquor store and know. do what I do best.
3: Cycling, or walking feels like cycling's
0: little brother. <laughs> swing by a liquor store. The number one benefit of walking. <laughs> exactly. Um... Yeah, so, but seawall is the way to go. Seawall is good. Seawall is a good one. All right, you got another one. You're your back to back.
1: All one. right. Is um, it driving
0: your Beamer down the seawall? No, or? no. <laughs> oh, that's Rachel, this one. Sorry.
1: No, that that one. I don't do that. Come on, now. I'm also a going north 3 GM kind of guy. You know that. <laughs> Come on. Um, all right. Third activity has to be on brand. Sipping the soda. S- guys. Up, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Soda. I you don't know, know this. this year round. No, but especially in the summer, if you're looking for a thirst, I quencher, was going to say,
0: shouldn't that be year round?
1: No, it is your end. <laughs> As I sport my dudson crew you sport
0: your very nice dudson gear. All right, Dom, you got one more. Uh, give me, what's it
3: called? I always forget. Deep Cove in the summer. Do you Doing w- what? Uh, everything. <laughs> Going up Quarry Rock, having a donut. Okay. Dom's list Visiting reminds Deep Cove.
1: Your list is literally something that, like, Dom daily like, high tri- Dom went to, like, TripAdvisor. I <laughs> I like these places. Your list is what, like, Rob Williams put together for
0: Daily Hiver, right? <laughs> Shout out to Rob. Uh, Rob the summer activity guy. Um, like all right. My, uh, my final pick here. I've already got two extraordinarily strong picks. I'm going to go uh, – this is a little off the board. I'm going to go with uh, hitting a pitch and putt with your buddies. Mm. Pack a strong couple play. beers. Damn strong play. Pack a couple That's beers. A you know, hit up QE. Hit up Rupert. Have some fun. Don't have to commit or pay for the whole golf course. Just, uh, just goof your way around a pitching putt. We left a lot off the board. We le- well, we only had nine picks, so this was yeah, no yeah. slight. There's still, if this was, if this was the NFL draft, they'd be saying, "Hey, there's a lot of talent still left on the board here, yeah. <laughs> going into round two, going into." One. I don't regret my picks. You have all more, don't you? No, I'm done. No, we're oh, done. You're you're done. done. We're done. Okay. That's a wrap. It up. Dom didn't pick, you know, like the White Rock Pier no. or you know, Steve want, or Dom literally to took
1: like Lonely Planet's What to Do in Vancouver guide.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's there for a reason, you know. It's there for a reason. Uh, I think that was another draft win for me, by the way. I got Matt Bailey. I don't know. He was pretty is, strong. He was much too sober for my liking. Pretty strong. <laughs> All right. He did uh, have beer in his. 650-650 is the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, hit us up with your summer activities in the Lower Mainland. Chris Peters will join us for some NHL draft talk. That's coming up next year on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Randy Janda. We're live from the mobile Kintech studio here at Nat Bailey. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or our Arbutus in Vancouver online at com. Chris Peters of Flow Hockey is going to join us to chat NHL draft here momentarily. Uh, we did our, uh, our draft of... Lower mainland summer activities in the last segment. Tanbeer texted, Randeep had the best picks because they're the cheapest. So I don't. Tanbeer maybe is telling us that uh, his bankroll didn't do so well in the playoffs or something. I don't know. He's looking for those budget activities right now.
1: Okay, they're budget because there's physical activity. There's a lot of walking. But my, you know, alcohol ain't cheap.
0: <laughs> so what you're not? What you're well, not? No, but you're supplying your own though, which is cheaper than buying it enough, somewhere. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, but it's not like I make it at home. <laughs> you got to buy it from I, somewhere. You want to get real budget. Uh, Tambir uh, says, uh, barbecue in your own backyard. Aim a, yeah. little, aim a little higher, though, bud. Uh, like, you're not going to do like, it every day. Get out of the day. house. Yeah, but sometimes that's overrated. I don't mind that. i got a barbecue. Sometimes that's,
3: that's overrated.
1: A bar- summer barbecue is is an elite elite thing. Like I mean, a I will these like It's coming
3: to- from the guy who went to Nanaimo to stay at a hotel on his own. If we were doing overrated underrated <laughs> if we <were laughs> wanted
1: I
0: wanted to quarantine from people pre-covid, all right? If we were doing overrated underrated and the topic was staying at home, I would definitely pull an underrated there. It is underrated. Oh, totally. Staying at home is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, and you Jamie as a dad, I'm not a dad,
1: but as no. you, as a dad, can yeah. appreciate just wanting to get away from civilization every yeah, now and then. There's
0: this. nothing, nothing wrong with just being alone at home for a little bit. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, do we have Chris on the line? All right, we'll uh, we'll get him on the line here uh, momentarily. Fish dancer texts in a lot of beer in these picks, boys. I mean, yeah, you can. That's not like. You can have a bubbly drinking, if you but want. Yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want. It yeah, doesn't have to be match. alcoholic. Uh, Jeff in East Hill uh, says the mountain roller coaster on Cypress Mountain. I don't know what that is. I've never is done it. Is there that. a roller coaster on Cypress Mountain? Uh, Was that on your local? Like or, or is yeah, it yeah, planet like a planet article? Thing.
3: It's like a bobsled. Oh. Summer bobsled. Oh.
0: Oh. And I got to say, I did. Uh, we all blew it by not taking Playland. Playland should have been my it's last It's so great. I love Playland. Okay. No, no, You're completely wrong. It's a quality
1: amusement um, experience. That's right. In case they're sponsors. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> but on top of that, I used to work there. So, as a, like, I spent seven years there working there, so
0: to me, it's I can't go back. I've been back like once. Oh, I love, I'm a huge Playland guy. Uh, Alright, enough of that for now, though. We will turn our attention to the NHL Draft, uh, where our guest from Flow Hockey doing a fantastic job covering NHL prospects, Chris Peters joins us. Chris, thanks as always
2: for doing this. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate being with you.
0: Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. We are uh, we're less than two weeks out from the NHL draft now, and you know, obviously, the Canucks currently, at least, sitting in pick number eleven. And you know, I, I'm not going to ask you to uh, try to divine what the Canucks are thinking they're going to do, but as you kind of look at how the draft board could be shaping up in that top ten, leading into the Canucks at eleven. Which would the play, who would the, the kind of prime targets from your perspective be for the Canucks at 11?
2: Oh boy. I mean, yeah, there's so many, there's so many variables at play, you know, which makes it really hard to kind of determine who's going to be left. I mean, I think, you know, the things that we have to kind of determine in order to see who's going to be left when the Canucks pick are, you know, when does the first defenseman go off the board and when does Matt mitchkov go off the board? Cause that really shakes everything up within the top, you know, five to seven picks. And so, when you have when you get that, those things figured out, you know you kind of have an idea. But you know I think there's going to be a lot of intriguing options there. You know I think guys like you, know, you look at Matthew Wood is, is somewhat local, you know a guy that played out west and, and now is at UConn, uh, a big scoring winger. You know I think there's a lot of talk about him potentially going higher than expected. Um, you know that's that's a range where you can get bigger, stronger, and then also have some really good scoring ability. I think he's going to be in in that range. Gabe Perot, who was the top scorer at the national team development program, um, and set the record, beating Austin Matthews' scoring record by 15 points in a single season uh, with 132 points this year. You know, highly intelligent player that that is a, an outstanding playmaker. Doesn't have the size that that a Wood has, and, and probably a, a better skater, though he's not uh, a high end skater by any means. So, you know, they've got that. Um, you know. I think there's a chance you could see maybe Nate Danielson, one of the top center prospects for this draft uh, from the Brandon Wheat King, good two-way option. Um, I think he's, he's one of those guys that really could sneak into that top 10 there but might still be available uh, if the right team uh, decides to go a different direction. So, you know, I think that there's there's going to be some options in the center position, at the defense position as well. You know, I think guys like Axel sandin Pelika and Tom Vlander, you know, among defensemen could potentially be there. Um, and, and that gives you some real good uh, opportunity to, to shore up the blue line as well. So there's a lot of different things that you can kind of play with uh, in that range. I think it's a good spot to be in because a lot of decisions get made for you and you just take the next best guy off your board. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, no, no shortage of options, that's, that's for sure.
0: And I wanted to ask you specifically about Gabe Perot, the winger you mentioned from the, uh, the U S national under 18 team. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Zach Benson here, obviously relatively local, you know, WHL prospect his, what he did in the dub this year. I feel like we haven't heard as much about Gabe Perot, And, you know, as you said, breaking, uh, breaking a record for, for that team. And a, a lot of similarities in terms of his playmaking ability and his skill. W- what's the ultimate upside there with Gabe Perot And is it, is it, is it enough that a team in the top you know 10 or 11 or 12 is, is going to uh, make that pick despite the questions about his size
2: Yeah you know I think interestingly enough you know he, he's one of those players that has more physical development to go you know like he he's still pretty you know he looks pretty young and he, you know I think he hasn't really filled out yet in terms of his his strength and everything and so that gives you a little bit like there's room for him to improve in those areas But the thing that makes him so special is, you know, I think in terms of guys that think the game at an offensive level, I think there's Connor Bedard, Matt V. Mitchkov, and then I'd put Gabe Perot in that group. I think he's one of the smartest players in this draft. He's incredibly creative. He sees a lot before it happens. You know, I think he's a great, great, has great anticipation. um, You know, makes good reads. He played with Will Smith and Ryan Leonard this year and, and will next year at Boston college and probably at the world juniors and things like that. And, those guys just knew where each other was going to be. And I think that some of the plays that Gabe made throughout the year really showcased that there's a, there's a real offensive, um, you know, kind of, I guess, uh, what am I trying to say? I think he's got a real offensive acumen in terms of, you know, just the way he thinks the game. And so I think that's a reason that he's risen steadily throughout the year. It's not just because of the points. It's because of what those points say about what, how, how he executed and um, yeah, so I mean, he's he's an intriguing option. I think he's going to get physically stronger. I think going the college route is definitely the the way for him to go because he does need more time to physically develop. And I think you know you're kind of waiting a little bit on that. And and as, since he's not a super high end skater, you're still a little bit questionable about questionable about it. But you know, he grew a little bit this year too. He's a little closer to six foot than you know. I think he's like five eleven ish right now. So you know, he's he's a player that I think. You know, teams are going to take under serious consideration in the top 15 there, if not between 10 and 15.
1: Another player that's getting a lot of attention here in Vancouver is Tom DeLander, a defenseman from Sweden. He uh, doesn't have the offensive upside, but from a, a two-way perspective, uh, what can his ceiling be in the NHL?
2: Yeah, you know, I think he's such a tremendous skater, and he closes down plays so quickly that, you know, I think that he could be a, a really strong matchups option. Like, you know, I think he does project favorably as a top four option um he's probably he probably doesn't have enough offensive capability for you to safely project him into a top pairing situation but i think he's a guy that you have as 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 a clear matchups guy a guy that's going to defend at a high level but can still move the puck you know i think he had a really good under 18 world championship where he not only showed that he could defend but he also produced there and that was very Illuminating and certainly helpful to his cause. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about him is that he's going to Boston University next year. We don't hear about a ton of European players, especially the super high end ones, going the college route, but that's something that he wanted to do. And, and the college has definitely been a, a very significant path for recent, you know, top tier. Collegiate defensive, think about Owen Power, Jake Sanderson, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, you know, Luke Hughes, you you think about all these guys and and the development that they got at the college level, and how prepared they were to come into the NHL after two years, you know, if that's the kind of timeline you're looking at, that's a really good, especially for a guy that you're picking in the top, you know, 11 that's a really good place to be. So, you know, he, to me, I, I think that the, the concerns about his offense are valid, but I don't think it's a hockey-sense problem. I think it's just an execution problem at this point. And so, you know, there could be more offense coaxed out of his game, but he's such an exceptional skater and such a good defender that he's going to find a way to make a very positive impact wherever he goes.
1: Well, you mentioned that switch to the NCAA next year. Like, from a team perspective, does that – you know, make it more appealing to them to say, okay, he's going to switch to the North American style and therefore maybe even shoot up the rankings a little bit because he's going to make that transition a little bit earlier.
2: Well, I think it certainly gives you a little more confidence because it also, it also gives you a little more contact. He's a little closer. You're able to work with them a little more closely. You know, the colleges have been very accepting of allowing, you know, the NHL staff to to work with those players, to meet with those players pretty regularly and so you've got a lot more, you know, physical contact with the player and, and also talking about, you know, just kind of being able to track them easier. The other thing, too, that I think college hockey provides is so, you know, he played most of mo- all of this year at the U-20 level in Sweden. Going to college hockey is a pretty significant jump. Um, and, and so it's kind of that nice go between between North American pro hockey and where he was playing in Sweden. You know, he could, have, he could have easily played more games professionally this year if he didn't want to go on the college route. So he would have been able to play, you know, in, at the SHL or possibly at the Svenskin. But now you get him in the North American style. You also get him into a place where he's going to get more weight training. He's going to get more on-ice practice. He's going to get all these different things that are going to help him improve, you know, that, that aren't necessarily afforded to the young players as they make that step into the professional ranks in Europe. So, there's really good developmental benefits for both, but I think for, for college hockey, it's kind of a nice hybrid of all and the best of all worlds because you're going to be playing against older players, playing on the smaller ice surfaces, and then also, you know, still having probably playing a pretty substantial role with significant minutes, more significant than he would probably get at the professional level. So there's a lot of uh, benefits to that. To, to making that decision, I and any any European player that does make that decision to kind of go outside of their comfort zone and try something like that, I mean, you really do have to respect the maturity and the decision process of that as well.
0: In conversation with Chris Peters here on Canucks Talk, talking NHL Draft Sportsnet 650, and, you know, as you were saying with kind of taking stock of who could be there for the Canucks pick, a lot of it is going to depend on you know what order and how early the defensemen go off the board in this draft. It seems pretty certain that David Reinbacher is going to go in the top 10 with V-Lander, and I guess I would throw Axel Sandin Pelika in there as well. Is there enough upside and kind of enough juice that teams in that kind of 6 to 10 range could be tempted to take one or you know maybe a couple teams end up taking both of them in that range.
2: Yeah, you know, I think I think it's it's for me, it's hard to see more than two defensemen going in like the top 13, 14 picks. Um, but it's possible. I think that there is, you know, certainly like you look at guys like Sandy as for is as a good example where, you know, he has the big concern about him really doesn't have anything to do with his playing ability. It's more about the fact that he's a sub six foot defenseman with, you know, who's not as good of a skater as a guy like V lander, um, perhaps not even Reinbacher. And so, you know, so there's some concern there. So he could potentially slip a little bit further than you know than we've kind of all been projecting him to go. Uh, but there are a lot of teams that definitely are fans of him. Um, I, you know, I just think that outside of those three, the one guy that could really shake it up even further from a defensive standpoint is Dmitry Simashev. You know, big defenseman, left shot, good skater. You know, playing the KHL, he he projects very favorably to the NHL. The question is, is how much does the risk factor scare teams away? So I think you could potentially see as many as four defensemen uh, with a with a very very outside shot of five in the top twenty. So you know, so I think that I, I have a hard time seeing because of the quality of the forwards that it has less to do with the defensemen and more because of the quality of the forwards. I have a hard time seeing more than one going in the top ten, but I do think that we're going to see a run on defensemen at some point. Maybe we'll have a few more go in the first round than we previously previously expected so
1: when we look at that first round you know there's a lot of options where Michikov goes we don't know but uh, Zach Benson obviously super skilled but when it comes to the size of the player
2: how big of a concern do you think that is in the top 10 and could you see him slipping uh, you know yeah I think I think there's a good chance you know I, I have him as a top 10 prospect in the class but you know when I did my mock draft last week it, he slipped he out of the top 15. That's aggressive. I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen, but you know, just based on the buzz, it seems like you know there are definitely some teams that are going to pass pass on on him because of the size factor, but also because of the skating. They're a little bit concerned about you know that that combination. So he's not an elite skater at his size. It's a little bit harder to make an impact. But the thing that I think separates Zach Benson from most players his size is how good he is off the puck and and really how good of a player he is at, at getting under under the opposition turning pucks over you know getting them forcing turnovers and and really has a, a tremendous stick I mean he is a very difficult player to play against on the forecheck which I find you know fascinating for him being at his size now that's gonna be a lot harder to do at the NHL level but the fact that he's doing it now and has such tremendous work ethic and and is a fierce competitor that really helps him a lot you know, I think the, the thing is that a lot of teams are going to take stock of what their roster looks like now. And, and so, you know, you can have a Zach Benson just as big as had a Jonathan Marshall. you probably can't have four or five of them, you know, so you kind of, you have to be a team that's pretty secure in the makeup of the future of your lineup. This is a player that can fit in, that can potentially play a top six role. Um, and that, you, there, you know, there's a spot for him because it's very difficult for players at his size and with his skating ability to have a significant impact in the top six role but I think he has the hockey sense. I think he has the competitiveness. I, you know, so that's why I had him as a top ten pick. Because even though the size is a, is a factor, you know, I think he's he's a player that plays with a lot of heart, a lot of work ethic. You know, and I think he's going to find a way to impact the game and then also have offensive skill to be able to produce. So I'll be interested to see where he goes. I think that you know that's a guy that will potentially be available when the Canucks pick. Um, you know, I think there's a, a better than not chance that he flips out of the top ten. Uh, but where, you know, how far he ends up slipping is, is going to be really interesting because I, I think there's there's got to be a few teams out there that really think that, that you know, have the belief in him because of the uh, the reasons that I mentioned.
0: Chris, always really appreciate the insight. Great stuff. Uh, thanks for doing this and enjoy the next couple of weeks in the draft.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Great to be with you.
0: That is Chris Peters uh, at Flow Hockey doing uh, NHL draft coverage and prospects. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris and Peter's always enjoyed chatting with him. And uh, very interesting that he's, you know, his thought is that Zach Benson has a, you know, better than equal chance of slipping out of the top 10. I would love to see the Canucks take Zach Benson. I, you know, we heard the report from yep. Rick Dollywell, but they took him to dinner, they, that they're very high on him. I just keep kind of building lists in my head and I can get to like eight pretty surefire guys to go ahead of him that ninth and tenth spot that I'm not sure I, I I wonder if he's going to actually get to where the Canucks are but I love to hear it I love to hear it that he might be there
1: yeah and Chris as we know covers prospects as good as anybody out there and he's got him at and he, he admitted it was it's had aggressive but he's got him at 17 going to Detroit which is is pretty significant right because I, with,
0: I'd be very surprised if he falls that much
1: I I you know based on some of the discussions and you know how the hockey world works yeah smaller guys, even though they might play a slightly bigger game than they do, the you know, hockey thought is still pretty conventional when it comes to if I have an option between mm-hmm. a six foot one guy versus a guy that's listed at what five eight, five nine, five ten, I'm gonna go for the six foot one or two guy. But that being said, the skill that we do see, I'm in that I think the Canucks might have a, an opportunity. It'll be in that probably that that ten range. So much has to happen though. A couple of defensemen go early. Yep. Then Obviously, Michkov is probably going to be bumped down a little bit because there's the Russia yeah. factor, and and the you know that's already a, a, a bit of an issue there. Um, and then with Benson, whether we like it or not, that's still a conversation in the hockey world. The size conversation is something that even though we see some really skilled players thrive in today's NHL, it is going to be on top of mind for a lot of GMs. So for the Canucks, it could work to their benefit this time because that player, to your point, should not be going number eleven should not be in a position to do so, but can it work to the advantage of the team here? And
0: I just wonder if, and you know, Chris brought him up well, uh, too, right? Jonathan so If you think you can get that style of smaller player who still has the aggressiveness, the feistiness. Middle of the right? ice, yep. Will go to the hard areas. I know that we talked so much about how big Vegas' blue line was, but, hey, the smallest player on the team, the shortest player won the Smythe, right? So you can, you in the most important games, in the biggest times, you can be that type of player and have success if you have that drive, if you have that competitiveness, and every scouting report is that Zach Benson has that. That's what convinces me. It's not just the skill, right? It's not just the production. It's combine that with the edge yep. to his game. That is what makes me think that he is worth Uh, A top 11 pick, if he's there for the Canucks,
1: and that is so important for this organization. Obviously, looking ahead to this year, because we've seen, you know, and heard Rick Tockett mention the players that are North South players. But that's really a culture you want to set now, and when your players show up to camp, when they're a part of your system, you're really hammering that home. So I think Zach Benson very much, if he's available at 11, which according to Chris, good chance, very good chance. You know, that's a player, best player available. And if he's yep. the best player, available, like you run, you run to the podium to make that pick. Now, if he's not, then it's it inter- really interesting. Yeah. And, and the Tom Vielander mentioned mm. about him playing in the NCAA. I think that's a really important factor for yep. a guy that is moving to North America, going to be playing at a, a good program, but getting used to that size of the ice. Um, you know, I think teams are going to take notice of that it's not as big as of a question mark of a player staying in Europe yep. and then eventually moving over. You're saying, okay, this guy's being proactive. He's coming to North America, and you can keep an eye on him. And at the same time,
0: that, that North American-sized rink, he's going to get his reps in, and, and that's really important. There's a very clear pathway to him playing North American-style hockey and North American pro hockey eventually. Uh, final few minutes of the show here. Canuck stock on Sportsnet 650 leading into a nooner at the Nat, the Canadians against... The Hillsboro Hops. Tyler Zickel will have the call at the top of the hour. It's been great to uh, see a few fans. We talked to to Cam from Ladner, I believe, right. here with uh, some little league players. Uh, you, a young fan, asked you, "Will the Canucks ever win the Stanley Cup?" The fan was 14, and you said, "By the time he finishes university." I, so I'm putting you on on the record. I'm optimistic. Eight years. Eight years.
1: First of all, he was a 14 year old kid. I couldn't. I wanted to leave him with a positive message, Jamie. I'm thinking about the children. The children are our future. You might I was going to
0: say, well, you're 14. You've got like probably 70 years left. So, <laughs> see, there's a reason I went to go talk to the kid, and he <laughs> approached me rather than approaching you. I uh, just immediately start talking about his mortality. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: I said, "How old are you?" He said, "14." I'm like, "All right." By the time you graduate university or BCIT or whatever you want to do with your life, yeah. kid, post secondary, uh, yeah. post secondary, that age range. Um, and shouts to Cam, so, who brought his kids out here. Yeah. And the first thing that Cam wanted to talk about was the Canucks cap situation. Yes. So, thank for, you for that, for Cam. For
0: everyone who in, you guys talk about the cap too much. We're in the flesh, fans, listeners, saying. In the break. Let's talk cap. Let's talk salary cap situation. That's what it's all about out here uh, at the Nat. Uh, really quickly, before we go, Canadian GP in F1 in yes. Montreal this weekend. Give, us, give us the – the lowdown, the the talking points, what to look for in the race this week. All right, the lowdown with Formula One this year
1: is that Max Verstappen is secretariat. Like, he's going <laughs> to run away 44 long wins. That's He's essentially what Lewis Hamilton used to be sure. when he was winning championships. There's nobody that's even in that range, and that's superb driver, but elite car. And even his teammate, uh, Sergio Perez, cannot compete with that. However, the storyline here, I think, in in Montreal will be, What we saw from Mercedes, is that real? When they had a double podium, they were able to, you know, be really competitive and Lewis Hamilton had another gear, can that continue? So the upgrades came last time out in Barcelona and I, you know, Mercedes, it's all eyes on Mercedes. Can they be the number two team? And I think also the home race for one, Lance Stroll, Mm -hmm. Aston Aston Martin and specifically Fernando Alonso did not have a great race last time out. kind of damages floor in barcelona driving over the gravel going off the the track. Can they bounce back because this is a big race for the Stroll family. Remember, Aston Martin is owned by Lawrence Stroll. Lance Stroll essentially feels like he has a lifetime contract uh-huh. with that team. So funny how that works. Funny how that works. <laughs> but the two teams I'm watching are Mercedes and Aston Martin because they're jockeying for number 2 position now.
0: Uh, There it is, the F1 report from our guy, Randeep Janda. Randeep, thanks for doing this. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, Come out to the net if you have time. A nooner getting going here momentarily. Tyler Zickel has the call. Have a great weekend. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.